So Jake Backus joins me today. Jake is the uh, MD at Empathy Sustainability and as we're going to hear in a little while, Head of Sustainability at Seacourt. Now that is going to be a very, very interesting um, experience for you to hear just what is possible in this world of sustainability and the topic today being communication of sustainability. Uh, so welcome to this episode, Jake. Really, really nice to have you on board. Thank you very much, Neil. So we were just talking before we clicked the uh, the record button of this, of, of your background. So you are a marketer through and through. Well, through and through, I don't know about that, but yeah, perhaps. I mean, my original degree was international marketing and Spanish. Um, I was a brand manager. I then went into sales, uh, seven years region manager for Latin America and then the Americas. And then I thought I need more training. I, I um, after 17 hours of interviews, I got into the Coca-Cola company, um, which, as everyone knows, is a a force of marketing. Uh, I was in the global customer team for 16 years, but halfway through um, uh, that, I, I transitioned into I was commercial leadership manager for Europe. But I saw a program on TV about. Um, the Greenland ice cap and the Greenland ice cap is very high and very cold but when it melts a bit it's not so high and not so cold so it'll melt some more and then you get this positive feedback loop and obviously if the Greenland ice cap melts then sea levels will rise etc so I leant over my fence and I spoke to my neighbor who happens to be a lecturer lecturer on climate science at Oxford University I said is this true he said yes but we must do something about that, I thought. So I, um, I I was always member, you know, I've been member of Greenpeace and Oxfam and all that kind of stuff. So not an out and out um, techie green or, or anything like that. And so I said to Coca-Cola, we must engage our largest key customers on, you know, environment and on sustainability. It's a risk if we don't and it's an opportunity if we do. Um, and they said, well, fine, if you want to do that as part of your job, go ahead. And then I ended up realizing that, I've, hang on, I've got two jobs here because this is full blown into, you know, a, quite, quite a big role. And I think I was probably the first person from a branded company to go and talk to people like Marks and Spencers and the Tesco, Carrefour, all that kind of stuff. Um, obviously, they're working with their own supply chain on sustainability for you know a number of years, but to talk about sustainability. And so my heart was in the, the sustainability side. So I asked, you know, look, can I do this sustainability thing full time? Uh, and they said, I actually had to go up to, you know, the, the, the president of Europe to make the decision. But at the time, we had newspapers saying we're all going to fry and all that kind of stuff. And so it, it was approved. And then, ironically, there was no career path. I just created the commercial role for sustainability at Coca-Cola. Um, and no career path, no more brown nosing, you know, all that kind of stuff, looking for career promotion. You know, I was free of all of that. And the irony was I became better at my job because, like, senior people might think, you know, wow, this guy really is passionate about this subject. And, you know, they they would give me a chance to say what I needed to say. Um, uh, oh, I've forgotten what I was going to say now. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, no career path anymore. And it was just about doing the right thing, I remember. So 
comp- big, big companies like Coca-Cola have fantastic people on water, plastics, refrigeration, packaging, all that kind of stuff. But nobody knows who they are. Uh, and they don't speak the same language as the engine and the power of the company, which in the Coca-Cola company is the marketing department, you know, and also with the bottlers and and the global customer team is the customer team. They're the ones with the, you know, the budgets and the money and, you know, where where the supposed value is created. But I I was a brand manager previously. I was in the commercial team. And so I was a bridge between those two worlds, between the the, the you know the technocratic sustainability experts um, and the tech team and the marketing team rather and I'd go along to the marketing people and say hey we need to do more on sustainability they go Jake that's your job <laughs> so no no let me tell you on your own metrics trust brand love reputation all that kind of stuff unfortunately I didn't have my own budget you know and probably seen as a bit disruptive fluffy you know all that kind of stuff um, but but you know within Coca-Cola there are a lot of people thinking about sustainability very seriously, but until it becomes in your performance-related pay, you don't really have permission to do that. And in fact, the president for Coca-Cola Northwest Europe, I went to him with a suggestion. And he said, "Right, let's do it. Let's change it. That everybody in Northwest Europe, their performance-related pay has to have something about sustainability in it." Um, but unfortunately, it then went up to global. Global said you can't change it just for Northwest Europe. It has to be for the whole world or nothing at all. So that was that. Anyway, after and I learned a lot at Coca-Cola. I mean, fantastic training. Uh, I personally developed a lot. I don't regret it um, at all. There are some great people at Coca-Cola, but it does have a huge environmental footprint. And, you know, I was there talking about refrigerants and refrigeration, plastics, waste plastic, ocean plastics, all that kind of stuff. But unfortunately, you know, sugar tax was looming and the environment was a sort of distant second to um, a category depleting sugar tax. Um, Even though Coca-Cola's own research said that, you know, in terms of building brand love love and trust, if Coca-Cola was to take a real leadership agenda on things like plastics and the environment, which people genuinely believe they could do, they would have three times the impact on brand love and trust as, as other initiatives. So for me, I felt that doing things and sustainability and sustainability engagement was a massive opportunity, whereas you know obesity and um, sugar tax, that's a sort of avoidance of a negative. You're not really going to take sugar out of red Coke, although, of course, you can promote Diet Coke, Coke Light, and all those kind of things. Um, But one interesting bit of research, which I could jump in and say right now, before I left and set up my own own company, um, and that I could talk about the timing of that leaving as well if you wanted, but some really interesting research, which Coca-Cola did, which I continue to quote to this day, um, is that, and it was done with teens and young young adults in, in, um, France and Great Britain, uh, and it might have been done by uh, Coca-Cola Enterprises, as they were then now Coca-Cola Euro-Pacific Partners, is that people are not motivated to save the planet. It's too big a problem, and they feel that their small actions are going to make no difference. 
actually they're wrong because aggregated small actions are going to make all the difference because there is no real silver bullet. You know, people are not motivated by corporate responsibility speak. It's dull. It's worthy. It's boring. It's self-regarding. You know, look at us. And said, well, what would motivate you to do more on the environment and sustainability? Well, if it was in engaging, inspirational, aspirational, motivational, and fun. So for me, that is a brand voice, not a public affairs voice. Brands need to start making sustainability part of the brand. I mean, this is known some years ago, but I still feel too many brands don't really understand it. And you can imagine washing your clothes in, you know, if you're Unilever or somebody making detergent, you know, just make normalize the behavior of washing your clothes in cold water. You know, people want their own brand to become more sustainable. They don't want to buy the eco brand. The eco brand is probably a bit rubbish. You know, it probably doesn't clean properly. So they want their own brand to. And and, and if you think about what are the barriers to be becoming more sustainable, price, information, convenience. I mean, it's so much better if their own brand uh, delighted, surprised them, exceeded their expectations, which was how you would create brand value, not only do barely enough. I mean, Coca-Cola marketing team always, they used to spend a lot of money in the UK alone asking consumers and doing consumer research and insights. Why are you asking consumers about sustainability? I mean, they don't know. It's up to us to lead on this agenda. They're not the experts. So I think it was wrong to ask people, you know, um, you need to be ahead of the game before it becomes an issue. And then people talk about the values action gap. People want to be more sustainable. But you know what? When it comes to buying stuff, they don't. And they see that as a negative. For me, that's a, a, it's a wrong interpretation of that. The values action gap is people want to be more sustainable, but there's a barrier. Why don't we understand what those barriers are? And then we, you know, they, we can create brand value by solving that. Just make it equally convenient. The product you used to buy yesterday is now more sustainable wonderful isn't that fantastic you know uh price just make it easily priced what's the point we'll say what the point is you know and there's a few more barriers that you you could do and engage your customers and consumers on as well so i think we too much of sustainability as agenda is about you know we've got to give up stuff nobody's been very clear at articulating what a better more sustainable lifestyle looks at looks like that hopefully would have been more active cities which have much more green spaces, active travel, not cut through by vehicles and noise and pollution, which otherwise are seen as good for GDP. I mean, going to hospitals is good for GDP, but it isn't really good for us. And so we need much more holistic and systemic thinking. We're all too much in silos. We'd all too much... Um, you know, we need you know, more holistic and systemic thinking. When I left, there was a new president for Europe as the European president has now become the C uh, chairman and CEO of the whole company. He's a good guy um, overall. But the new president for Europe, as I was leaving, said, right. And there was a big restructuring, as big companies are wanting to do. Right. We've got three priorities. 
growth, growth, and growth. Oh, for FF's sake, you know, like, I can't believe it. I mean, he hasn't understood anything at all. Um, the, the agenda's really moved on. And one thing, I know I'm, I'm rambling all over the place, but one thing Coca-Cola did really well was after the water issues it had with a Hindustani bottler in India, and people, even students at Oxford University, you know, campaigning against uh, Coca-Cola because of its water use in in um, in India, which then turns out to be quite a complex problem, which I, I won't uh, discuss now unless you want to. But actually then realized that it needed a, a social license to operate, to use water in all of the factories around the world, which incidentally, it doesn't actually own um, most of those. But it needed to do a water risk assessment of all 900 factories in 200 countries. And then also put in place a you know source water protection program. But it future casted or as you I don't know if that's the right term. What will the world look like in 2030 and 2050? And already 40% of all of its factories around the world are in areas of water scarcity. But by 2050, I mean, no water, no business, full stop. So then it becomes very, very clear that you must protect your supply chain, you know, your access to materials and resources and all that kind of stuff. So I think more businesses really should stop thinking about the here and now and the difficulties and the crisis. And we've had huge supply chain shocks and raw materials increases in the in the recent years. Um, certainly, the you know gas prices going up. I mean, it's been known about for years. It's gonna is a is a finite resource. Of course, it's going to run out. You know, and actually think about. I need to build a business which is resilient for the future. You know, and also one which has a social license to operate and increasingly companies which originally in marketing terms had functional benefits. And then most cars go from A to B. Most detergents wash. Most soft drinks are made of water and bits and bobs to have flavor. But then you say, oh, let's have emotional benefits. Let's engage with people emotionally. But now the whole big thing is purposefulness. And many companies, their purposefulness is a total retrofit to what they're already doing but the real reality is what is your right to exist what are you doing which is actually good for society and the environment are your shareholders getting wealthy and leaving the harms and as externalities for society to pick up the mess you know and so b corp is one way that um you know companies are starting to look at that as a framework for what a better business looks like but um i guess i'm ahead of myself but if i was going to continue talking without you asking me any questions whatsoever um but, but i left and i i then went there's one way you can get a really free education is you rock up at your local university to the free access lectures and i was able for years and i was even doing this when i was at coca-cola because i could go after work and you can go to talks some of the world's experts would come to oxford and get, talk about water natural capital accounting, biodiversity, energy. And in the end, I started not to filter anything to do with sustainability. I would go because you could always learn something, even if it was just the methodology uh, of something. And so for years, I went to any lecture on sustainability. <clears throat> um, and, and that's like your free education as to what's coming up. And so, you know, my boss once called me the canary in the gold mine is because the problem is sometimes I'm ahead of the game, you know, and I, and I was seen 
as disruptive. You know, I was seen as, um, you know, fluffy. And I'm not necessarily the most effective guy or the most effective communicator either. Um, but just about everything I said has proven to be right um, in, in the big terms. Anyway, so I left and I called my company after a while I thought you know I need to I need to earn some money um and my wife was saying go and get a proper job so but I notwithstanding I now have what you might call a portfolio career I basically I'm of a stage of life where I wanted freedom I want to be able to do whatever I want to do I have a house you know I have a washing machine I have a vehicle I don't actually use very much I don't need another house don't need another washing machine don't need another vehicle it's now time for me to be purposeful and do the right thing and so um so I started working for myself and I called my company empathy sustainability so let me say why I've called myself company empathy sustainability for me the biggest problem in the whole subject of sustainability is actually communication and engagement because we know about climate change it's a dead cert i mean you can't possibly want for any more facts notwithstanding facts are not actually a very persuasive argument for many people you know we know about climate change we pretty much know what to do already to solve it it's uh, and we've got the resources to deal with it I mean, it's probably quite cheap compared to how much we spend on military um, versus a wider existential threat to everybody. So we've got all the capability to deal with it, but we're not acting decisively, you know. So it's a failure of engagement and a failure of communication. I mean, even when I was at Coca-Cola, I had a folder on my computer called To Read, and it had over 200 documents of studies and stuff to read often from academics and they are just the worst communicators often as well the scientists we all know about the issues going on there and it's like 72 pages of text i just have not got time on my company's dime uh, to read that stuff and then i don't have time <clears throat> to translate that into the language of my organization you know which is it tends to me to be the more senior you are, the more pictures you use and the fewer bullet points from to risk, opportunity, cost, benefit. Right. Somebody go and read the detail, you know, but ultimately. So there's this big failure of communication, even on the on the climate science. But um, <clears throat> for me, this is the big problem. And and uh, and everybody's so keen to tell people stuff. Everybody's now on social media. I'm telling you this. Look at me. I'm a guru. Listen to me. Aren't I the wise one here? And everyone's telling. They're very. And why aren't you like me? You know, you you people from these foreign country, you, you're you don't have democracy. You're a bit odd. And everybody's looking and judging and everything. No, very few people are listening. And as an ex salesperson, the best skill in selling is listening. And so for me, I just don't want to see any more melting ice caps and polar bears. And I thought. My go-to, I do apologize to Republican Bible Belt Americans, but my go-to analogy is if you're a Republican Bible Belt American, you just I don't. So I do apologize if, if that's you. But this is my analogy, which isn't a perfect analogy. But you just don't want to see any more, <clears throat> you know, rainbow knitted jersey, anarchist, gay, liberal city people 
I'm not like you. I'm not, you know, I don't, you know, <clears throat> I don't want to even be like you. Stop telling me about climate change. You know, nobody listened to me and anchored on my frames of reference. So it's a failure of listening. They're just telling. Everybody's telling everybody everything. So nobody listened to them. What's important to you then? Oh, God and guns. Fine. Let's anchor on that and let's start a conversation there. So nobody's listening. And it's also a note to say, I'm an appalling listener. I mean, you haven't got a single question in yet, for example. So I haven't even paused. So it was a note to, to me also to be a, <clears throat> a better listener. So for me, that's why I was interested in what you do, Neil, because I feel how our brains have got full of biases, full of bugs, you know, how we receive information and facts are just not a winning argument. So, you know, maybe they do appeal to a small number of people, but it's emotions which drive change. You know, we have to be emotionally engaged in something. Well, you, you may know better than me. And also the research I've done on behavior changes, common sense is a disaster. Don't follow common sense. Even lots of all these free economics exa examples as well. You've got to try things out. But people have got to talk to people. And it's that narrative, compelling stories which speak to people's core values uh, is 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 you know one obvious thing to say say, say about that i'm going to pause <laughs> uh, and see i was not i was not going to stop you i was not going to stop you there i mean that is i have to say the longest and yet the most informative introduction to somebody that i think i've well it's <laughs> definitely definitely happened on this particular podcast so thank you jake for that that is that is fascinating that there's two or three things in there which I really, really want to kind of dive deeply into. And one of them in particular that you you went through very, very quickly and then you kind of went on to something different. And I don't know what the difference was because I dwelled on it in my head for a while, which was this whole idea. And you've also more recently there used the, the phrase anchoring. And I want to again want to come back to that. But the example that you used, which I think for a lot of people listening to this could be a really key wake up point, is this whole idea of focusing on the brand to communicate sustainability rather than, which I think a lot of the textbooks, lots of the thought leaders in this space talk about, which is, so how do you align with the ESGs? You know, what are your scope two, scope three kind of statements? And what's your CSR policy? And blah, 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 blah. And it kind of like, what? Oh, hold on. And it's very, as you described it there, it's very corporate speak. And I think, one, that turns people in the organization off because, actually, they don't yeah. like to admit they don't understand what's what all these phrases mean. And, two, when it comes to then talking to your customer, you are so talking a language that just is, well, sort of mind-numbingly irrelevant to them. So... I think actually the starting point for many organizations, and I'll certainly be looking at the SMEs um, in my audience here and sort of saying, hey, guys, this is, this is you, isn't it? By saying, I think what Jake's really pointing us to is how can we translate initiatives that we're doing, which may focus on carbon footprint, may focus on process improvement, might focus on how we're treating our people wonderfully versus the competition, et cetera, et cetera. It's a whole range of things, but actually, talking and communicating those things in a way 
that adds value and texture and color to our brand rather than trying to align with corporate global world health organization political spin kind of phraseology is is that is that right is that where you're coming from jay there's a lot in there uh for, for me to try and remember to talk about unfortunately i talk in circles and then get lost so you might have to bring me back is that first of all i've never knowingly undersold sustainability but even i appreciate a product has to perform its core functional benefit or proposition first so do not put sustainability first because otherwise your product's probably really a bit rubbish you know so ultimately cleans white and white and sustainable fantastic so sustainability is a supporting attribute and i've seen you know coca-cola even doing an advert for recycling now why don't you make you know your normal advert somehow make natural and normalized just behavioral uh you know, maybe i'm overthinking it and you don't want to mix the two definitely some things are public relations you know fair wages at work and it just feels too awkward when you're trying to talk about your you know your brand and in an emotional engaging way uh your brand narrative but some things are true to your brand and each brand within your portfolio of brands should have its own agenda and that might be to create social benefits and impact and also try to make it normal because otherwise it looks like philanthropy which like here we're going to do what we normally do and here's a bung here's a bit of money for the poor people or hey we've put a <clears throat> we've given some soap to people or there's a solar panel on somebody's roof it just doesn't connect you know it's just wrong and also we maybe it even was okay in the past but now we now have a new level playing field we expect better of you this is now the new normal you need to up your game even better and we want to have a you know, pissing contest we want to have competition with who can be the greenest but categorically avoiding greenwash because as soon as people's antennae for greenwash gets too attuned they're not going to believe anything and then ultimately if they start to question it then the incentive to engage people on being more sustainable is gone and we go backwards so you absolutely i've just written a presentation on greenwashing uh, i've updated my old one it always needs to be updated because we really need to be attuned about being trustworthy, authentic. And I think you can be honest about being, we're not a perfect business, but our ambition is to get to here. Wow, that's pretty inspiring. And this is our journey to get there. Challenge us if we get lost along that journey. And you're almost bomb-proof from NGOs if you're really honest about your impacts and you're honest about your ambition and your realistic and genuine strategy to get there. But as soon as you start to greenwash it, you're open to attack. And I feel people are really critical at the moment uh, as well. I mean, uh, uh, during the um, London Olympics, Coca-Cola had this new bottle, which was made from uh, bio plant-based plastics and recycled content and had normal uh, PET in it as well. And the legal people were all over it saying this is 22.5% to what percent? What the heck? That wouldn't motivate and inspire anybody. And I say, you know, it wasn't my place to say. And, and because it wasn't, nobody was particularly listening to me. But if you had said Coca-Cola wants to get out of virgin petroleum-based plastics, 
you know, and wanted to achieve zero waste to landfill. And look at this. This is our journey on this, you know, re fully recyclable plant-based plastic plus recycled plastic and a bit of virgin, but we're going to get to 100%, you know, we're going to do this like, wow, maybe not a lot wow, but a little bit wow, and that creates brand value, and that's worth something. And that that bit of marketing value is worth the up cost versus your super, super efficient current supply chain, because any new innovation, of course, it's going to cost more. It doesn't have the economies of scale. But the coin, if you can translate that into a connection with people on an emotional level, that you've got a grip of this uh, and you're going to do something pretty amazing. But we need you to help because actually whether you recycle this or not is the biggest carbon impact uh, reduction or action that can be taken with our packaging. I mean, that's that's what I was saying. And I didn't I didn't win the argument, unfortunately. Um, but even. Yeah, I'm off track. But right now, what I cannot stand is as people try to make the world. I know you're on brands. Maybe I'll stick on brands. I did have another thing to say about cities. Go, on, go for it. Go, for, go, go, go well, for it. I mean, there's, right there's now, I'm, I'm relevancy on, I'm in the flow. I'm on. Maybe it'll add some sort of context. I'm on trustee on the cycle campaign for Oxford. Oxford's a number two cycling city in the UK after <coughs> the other place called Cambridge, which I think is where you're based. Um, with 29%. But actually, you think, what can a city do to become more sustainable? Actually, I've done air quality research in Oxford, you know, as well, but just to try and bring climate change closer to people in their own homes and their schools and everything. But actually, to have a city cut through by noise and pollution and danger, I, I mean, just had, you know, so many young women being killed um recently cycling i'm like the eighth uh person certainly a uh, second or third in 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 two years but you know we've got to create what is what kind of city do we want how can we we're just going to end up with a total log jam of congestion if we do business as usual with all this new so we've got a future proof the business we've got to think what's it going to be like so we've started a, there's this new con well, there's a concept in oxford called which is other cities have done as well, which is low traffic neighborhoods. So to avoid rat running through where people's houses are, they, they've they put up a few bollards to stop people going through these quiet ways so that people feel safer to cycle. Because the biggest reason people don't cycle is it's not safe. Uh, and so children and families can then go on their bikes. But there is a huge campaign. Well, it's no, it's very vocal campaign, perhaps with a minority of people, about having their rights taken away to drive uh, small distances <laughs> um, and their right to pollute because they pay road tax and all that kind of stuff. But the point is, is uh, there's this horrible binary way of thinking now on social media, not just in this example, is people are, I, you are not like me, I hate, this is my experience based on my worldview and my lived experience, and they think that is the truth. And then somebody else thinks exactly the opposite. So they can't both be right because they can't both be unless it's a truth according to them. This horrible acrimonious thing going on. So it ends up in a battle. So then I'm thinking, well, then taking back to climate change is it ends up being this horrible battle where everybody's right and nobody's listening. And how do we move forwards? And how do we get out of this selfish view 
versus what's actually the right thing for society and the environment. What's the right thing for my company to do? What's the actual right thing for my brand to do? How can we build, you know, a legacy for ourselves and our children and all that kind of stuff? But it comes back to trust, transparency. Uh, I, I don't know what it comes back to. I'm getting lost. Come and save me, Neil. <laughs> I so it's, have so is this right. about the anchoring? Well, no, no, it's interesting because yeah. what you're listen, describing there, this, this whole point about, yeah, yeah, yeah because it's, I, th I think what you've you've kind of sort of touched on in, in, in a variety of different ways there is kind of three points of, of, of anchoring. And I think we've got a choice here that, you know, as marketers, as communicators, as business owners, decision makers, if we're in larger organisations, We've got this choice, I think, of, you know, banging the drum of our own narrative. And I'm I'm paraphrasing really what you've described and actually then taking the choice of going back to your point about properly listening mm -hmm. and actually being a listener to our target audience, our circle of influence, those around our business or our organization who we could if we get this right influence. So is it about this, and I keep hearing in my head this word anchoring that you used before, is that really what we're trying to do here is we're trying to actively listen, see what might resonate with our target audience, whoever those they happen to be, and we're all going to be looking at different audiences here. And then rather than necessarily just saying, well, we're right, we've got the story, you must be interested in our product or service because yes. we're sustainable, is it actually the anchoring is actually going out and doing some proper deep listening to the audience that we're trying to influence here and trying to, well, I'll use the word convince that we're actually doing a good job or at least we're on a journey and actually then aligning what they want to hear with what we want to say. So there's some form of kind of anchoring process. Is that our responsibility to do that, do you think? It's only part of our responsibility because it comes back to we need to think ahead of uh, give delight and surprise them by deeply listening uh, but then not just doing what they think because you, you know it goes back to that famous marketing example of i've got a broom what's a better broom a bigger broom but you don't you can't imagine a vacuum cleaner or you've got a horse do i need a bigger horse or a faster horse no you can't imagine uh in model t ford so innovation comes along people can't think about that it's your role as the brand as a company to think what is the right thing to do and how can i be ahead of my consumers to really because there's another coca-cola bit of research is at that at the time about 17 percent of people were deep green they would choose the greenest thing regardless don't don't worry about them most people 50 3% of people were light green or casual green, which means they wanted to be more, be greener, but they, they weren't always doing their recycling. They weren't always doing it. So there was some barrier and they weren't, and then they're skeptical and don't give a monkeys or forget about them. So actually the big action, the big play in marketing terms is to appeal to those light greens so to help them on their journey, to to make them feel good. So ultimately if you you know you deliver you give some pro your product to a consumer you ship it to them you know it's got these polystyrene worms i mean technically they're recyclable but actually you you know or you've given them plastic packaging which is not recyclable or you you've given them a problem and so some people that will tax and vex them as they get conscious about ocean plastics and the harm it does and everything and landfill 
I've got my product. I've unpacked it. And you've left me with this problem as to what to do with this waste. You've left me with the problem as to how to dispose of my product after I've consumed it or the packaging. Why do we keep giving problems to people when we should be ahead of them, giving them solutions to not only do the right thing? Um, but the other thing is, you know, and even like I was in charge when I first started at Coke, I was in charge of the hotel channel um, internationally for for European headquartered um, hotels and hotel surveys. They don't really ask you. They did the person at the reception smile at you. Did you see uh, a chocolate on your pillow? I mean, these are all spying techniques to look at whether the staff are performing properly. All it really needs is an open box, open feedback. Say what you think. I want to hear from you. You know, stop doing this, checking your performance. Most companies, not, I don't know about most, a lot. I've got this thing about company values. If you look at many company values, they're not values. They're performance metrics. You know, a proper value would be about kindness. You know, listening to one, I don't, know, I don't have to take the listening thing too far. Listening is good, but I don't know. It's genuinely show that we listen to our customers and consumers. Now it's a big soapbox grievance of mine. So many companies are learned from uh, tech solutions which are free and can't afford to put too many staff on call and help desks and support. If you, you cannot speak to a human at a company, I mean, if you can make a phone call to a company, they solve your problem. Wow, I love this company. They are just the best. But now you have to go to the FAQs and hope that somebody else who couldn't speak to a human has found the answer. And there's huge stress on tech stuff and websites, and they're just useless. You can't speak to a human to get up. So they're not listening to me. They don't, you know, and people don't have these open box feedbacks. But you're right. We need to listen. But for me, it's one of the single biggest things um, we can do to be more tolerant of each other, to live better lives, to learn more. You can't really listen, learn if you're listening, if you're if you're talking. So, we, you know, and what you listen to in more spiritual terms, you allow to grow and thrive. So if you listen to your children, you allow them to grow and thrive. I mean, look, you can tell your children stuff, but. I think there needs to be a balance to listening to your children, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Because nobody wants, if I, if I tried to change your values, you would deeply resist me full stop. And we, and so telling as a concept is either just chance, you know, or it's positively wrong. And as a salesperson, you know, if I was to ask you, you know, in the old parlance, high gain questions to gain understanding, you know, and I was able to anchor on what's important to you, it would be far more effective. So you've got an incredible example, which I know and I'm hoping you're going to share with us, which is the Seacourt business, because there's some incredible stuff going on there, really, isn't there? What, what can is. you share that, that, that is in terms of, yeah, obviously we want to hear well, um going to speak on behalf of the audience that we do want to hear actually what you've achieved and what you've done there in terms of sustainability but kind of how is that how has that been possible to sort of share all of the kind of the principles of communication that we've talked about here within a business like that because when you're doing so many great things what can you you know where, where do you prioritize where do you start because there's a lot to tell it's 
my first message to Seacourt when I rocked up and saw their useless website, which I said, I'll redo your website for you and everything. I said, stop talking about yourself, which goes back to something we've discussed a bit earlier. It's dull. It's worthy and boring. You need to say, talk about sustainability because they're already trying to talk about sustainability and they've been on a long journey on sustainability. You've got to create value for your client. In fact, as a printer, don't even need to think too much about them. You need to create value for your client's client. And if you can create value for your client's client, you've hooked your client. So ultimately, let's try to get to a place where the printing of this makes a net positive contribution to climate change and to society. You know, because ultimately we need models of better business. We can't all go back to being farmers anymore. We've got to get to a place doing a little less harm is now not getting us there you know in my example for that is in 2010 the consumer goods forum made up of about 430 or more food companies and retailers from around the world they committed to stop deforestation in their supply chains by 2020 how many companies managed to achieve uh, no foot deforestation in their supply chain by 2020 well, according to Greenpeace, none. Nobody did. Because ultimately, having your supplier code of conduct and saying, oh, we don't want any deforestation in our supply chain, please, and, and everything. But essentially, doing less harm is not going to get us there. We now need to be restorative and regenerative. So we now need to be net positive. So the whole thing of you know cutting your carbon and all this stuff, of course, it's super, super important. But now... Your company, your brand needs to be net positive. What are we doing which is enhancing people's life, you know, which is not taking from other people or putting a burden on uh, uh, of pollution, of waste on the rest of society? You know, the purchase of my product or our product will make not only you feel great about yourself because, you know, we've taken responsibility for your actions, but it will make a net positive contribution to the environment and society. So that's the journey we've been on at Seacourt. And so I offered to Carbon Footprint their business, their entire supply chain, you know, fixed fee. It wasn't very much. I hadn't actually done it before. So it took me six months uh, and it wasn't very profitable for me, but I learned on the journey. So that was fine. So everything, categorically everything, uh, that the business touched or had any your, anything you have an influence over goes in your footprint, even if it's double counting. So the entire supply chain and most of the suppliers didn't know what I was talking about. One supplier got their own information wrong by a factor of 10. So it took a bit of a stuff. And then you've got, OK, now we're going to OK, we've got to reduce our own uh, our, our own impacts. But now we need gold standard verified emission reductions and we need to offset 110% of our own carbon and climate impacts. But I suggest also ones, not some wind turbine in New Zealand, ones which have a positive social health and economic impact. And at COP26 in Glasgow and at COP27 in Sharm el-Sheikh, there's this big agenda that the develop, I don't know, like I hate these words, that the wealthy, rich countries need to support and fund the global south, I don't like the word developing country, but but the global south with money and to finance some of the harms. 
Uh, and the whole concept of offsetting is very is, is touchy and risky at the moment. And you really have to be clear uh, about what you're doing and what's, should, what's allowed and what's not allowed. But a company can help can do its own version of what is required of countries by helping people in the global south to improve their lives improve their health improve their economy and the economics and cook stoves and um and help women and all that kind of stuff but you can also choose offsets either within your own supply chain which would be an inset but actually ones which are true to your brand why have something you've done over here which is totally unrelated to your brand? But if you were to say, oh, we've, car we've done carbon calculation of our brand and we're, uh, our entire carbon footprint is going to be zero. So when you buy it from us, it has no net uh, climate, net negative climate impact. But actually our offsets are all with social benefits uh, to people who we think, you know, you can connect with and and, and, and actually – then again, people, that creates value for the consumer if you tell the story in the right way. So actually, my purchasing your product helps people. Wow, isn't that great? I get a lot for my money. And that should be seen as a marketing investment, not some sustainability person around the corner who's just offsetting the CEO's flights or something like that, you know? I got lost again. You have to bring me back on track. No, 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 you're, you're not. I think... <laughs> It's so interesting because, you know, you're so passionate about this. And I think yeah, it's that, it's that passion that it's, it's so great to instill, I think, in, in anybody who's looking to go on this journey because you've got to believe in it. I think this is the key thing that's coming across for me is that you can talk a good story if you're a marketer. You can, you know, have all the ideas. But unless you are willing to do the hard yards and really go for this thing, you're going to fall at the first couple of hurdles because this is a hard thing to do. You know, I mean, with Seacord, I mean, how it's long not, is it? Take? It's not hard I mean, to Because there's a lot of qualifications there, aren't there? Yeah, Seacord. So Seacord were Seacord had invented this weight. So first of all, the printing industry is one of the most uh, damaging to the environment industries in the country. So I heard, I am told by the boss, uh, that it's on a par uh in some classification with the nuclear industry and the petroleum industry. It's like, wow, you know, but, and it's actually the fifth largest employer. So it's a big old industry and businesses are going bust left, right and center. It's a very low margin business. People are printing less and less. So what's the cut through? They had invented um, a water and, and it uses a lot of water and it turns out water isn't wet enough. So you add these volatile organic chemicals, isopropyl alcohol, to wet it, to water to make it wetter, you know, and then all of that water and those VOCs get discharged to the environment and they're really not nice to breathe in for the people working as well. And so if you, I had a, a catalogue, my wife, we had this catalogue through the door and it from a pretty environmental company and it's stank. It's really smelly. You can smell the volatile organic chemicals. So they invented a waterless printing process. And actually, with it being less wet, there's less bleed. It's very high quality. They had to have ink specially made for them. And it was a huge investment for a little printer. And then they go on a journey and there's zero waste to landfill. Fantastic. 100% renewable energy. Fantastic. You know, and they were talking about these things. And then I came along. And said, look, turn it around, create value for your client, your client's client, 
you know, talk about, take, take the agenda in that way. I'll do your carbon footprint. Let's measure that. Let's offset, you know, more. And they they had three Queen's Awards. I can't remember if they had three or four, two of them, but for sustainable development. Um, having failed, I did their fourth Queen's Award for sustainable enterprise. So the only company um, in the UK world or anywhere you can get one that's got four Queen's Awards for that. And you have to have shown, you know, progress. You have to have done something remarkable. Um, and they said, what's the next thing? And they said, uh, and I didn't even think about it, but they said B Corp. Right, let's do B Corp. Because our, we want to be the most sustainable printer in the UK, bar none. And no doubt about it. Actually, I forgot one. They won the European Commission's EMAS Most Sustainable SME in the whole of Europe in 2017. So um, uh, that, that that's quite something as well to... Uh, so what's the next thing? B Corp. And of course, B Corp is a framework for what a better business looks like. And there's lots of stepping up. It's the first time I'd ever done it. And they just start with the questions, you know, come out with the answers. And some people really overthink B Corp as well. Just answer the questions and don't answer them as to what you're doing now. The question is, could you do it? Yeah, I suppose we could do it. And push, push, push. Uh, let's get, you know, let's use this as a way to get the best score we can and we up our game. And so, and you've got to watch, watch out for the sneaky questions with no points at all because suddenly something goes up. So we smashed it on the environment. So we've got a huge score on the environment. Um, uh, uh, and so we turned out to be the highest scoring or ranking B Corp printer or media company in the whole world. And there's this, we're a printer of 26 employees in Oxford. And the part of that is, so why, you know, why are you pushing it so much? Is actually, we want to inspire other people, engage other people. You know, you can do this too. You know, go ahead and beat us or, you know, all that kind of stuff. Because it comes back to inspire and engage people. Uh, and, you know, we've got incredible clients like WWF, Patagonia, the Committee on Climate Change. If you truly are sustainable... And if your company says it's sustainable and you don't print your sustainability report in a sustainable way, I don't believe anything written in that report. You've lost me already. I just don't trust you. You didn't bother to go to the effort to see that you printed that in a sustainable way. Um, and how much better if the printing of this makes a net positive contribution to the you know planet and or environment and uh, society. And so actually... Having been on this long journey, we're now trying to go even further. So carbon and climate is relatively easy now to do. And saving the planet, as you might say, is not just about that. There's a lot more going on, um, not only the, all of the sustainable development goals, but if you if you know donut economics, it's a fantastic concept from Kate Rayworth, also from Oxford University, uh, um, as to what are the major... Uh, global issues and uh, things that we should measure. The point is to create a great model called donut economics. So the point is, is not if you want to be net positive for the environment and society, you've got to be thinking of more than carbon. So now is how can we be net positive for nature? How can we be net positive for society and measure it, you know, uh, et cetera, et cetera, all on, an SME on a very low income business budget 
of 26 people hence they don't employ me full time <laughs> um but that's but that's the agenda so we want to be the most sustainable and the leadership i mean the business has grown 84% since i arrived i mean it's, um well, in fact it's more than doubled so uh, uh, which is a problem because actually now a carbon footprint is, has become bigger. So our offsets are more expensive. Now I've included, I've, we've included in our carbon footprint end of life, all the dis delivery, all of our suppliers, delivery, delivery to our clients and end of life. So that's all, everything we can possibly think. And it turns out then now the scope one and scope two impacts of our company are like 0 0.7, uh, 0 0.3 or 0.7% of our, total impacts therefore our supply chain is like 99.7 percent it's the paper you know you know inks and printing plates but it's paper so our our suppliers now need to up their game and i read something this week that actually we have to decarbonize our supply chain oh but we don't control of that yeah but you influence it and even if you're a small person or small company if ev if all of the suppliers if all of the clients of a supplier start saying this is important, um, things are going to happen. But I do think companies have got to be greater advocates for change, you know. And I think that's what's left off in terms of companies' responsibility. In in um, I mean, Coca go back to the old Coca-Cola analogy. Everybody, I don't know if you can think about Coca-Cola great marketing moments. I like to teach the world to sing and by the world at home or having the black and uh, white youths or teens sitting together on a segregation bench or having, you know, gay people in advertising. Wow. This brand really was at the forefront of social change. And I think, well, why doesn't the brand continue to do that? If you keep asking consumers, you know, what should we be doing? You're not ahead of the game anymore. You think, how can we, how can we really move things forward? So your your company needs to be an advocate for change. And in fact, in Copenhagen, when that happened, it was it was the governments who are being reticent about change, but big business was saying, "Bring it on, let's move more quickly," which was refreshing. So actually, I know. Yeah, what is one thing? As I um, come back round to uh, where we started the conversation, who has the most power for change? Everybody says, well, not everybody, <laughs> a few people, somebody says regulation. We need more regulation just to set the rules. But government will not act decisively unless they have a mandate from the voters and they feel it's a, they're not going to win votes. And businesses would be greener tomorrow if consumers and shoppers just said it was important to them. Can you imagine all that? market research and it came back it's a super important subject you've got to get on your game on sustainability you know coca-cola and everybody would be absolutely smashing the sustainability agenda so who has all the power consumers voters shoppers it's us but we fail to act collectively we just all we need to do in some respects is to demand more of government and business and demand better but we fail to do it so it comes back again how to engage and motivate and inspire people to believe that it's possible that it is a better life and to demand more. So why is it we're not demanding more? You're like, what's wrong here? 
What a wonderful way to come full circle that it all begins, no matter how big an organization you feel you're part of, it all begins with the individual. Because as a consumer, as a customer, as a decision maker, ultimately, it's us. It's us who are the influencers. It's us who are the people who can change the world. I mean, what, what a lovely way to kind of, yeah, make the change. And it's almost sort of the accountability and responsibility literally stops with us, doesn't it? It's, it's not waiting for somebody else. It's not waiting for the big brands. It's not waiting for government to do it for us. The little gestures, the little moments, those mindful decisions that we make on a day-to-day -day basis, that's it. Quite the simple. one thing we can the one thing we can change is ourselves and then you we have far more impact than you think because again being told telling people what to do isn't really working but people your friends and all of the the all of the research you know I'm over emphasizing it again but so much research is people who are influenced by their friends and their family and what they're doing so just change yourself and see what happens and talk with then you can take well, somebody might have a different point of view to you. Well, you know, I acknowledge where you're coming from. I hear you. But th this is how I see things. This is how I'm leaving my life. And these are the benefits from me. Uh, and then that might connect with people. Yeah, I always I always end up um, sort of asking for a top tip. But, Jake, I think you've just shared it there. Is it's you know, it has to be done from the heart and it's done by us individuals. And it is quite simple as that. You know, I think we can we can often in this world, you know, complicate stuff, as you've described, and we can make this thing a really hard thing. But it, it, at its core, the, the essence of it is so, so simple. So if you are responsible for marketing or for a business and you're listening to this and you're thinking, how do I communicate sustainability better? Well, as Jake's very eloquently described here, it is all about enabling your customers to give you that feedback and make and the feel time good about themselves as well. Yeah, mm. yeah. Simple as that. So, Jake, how do people contact you if they wish to carry this conversation forward or wish to connect with you or follow your work? Is it uh, is it LinkedIn? Where's the best well, place? I'm on, to yeah, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. Jake Backus. Most of the people with my name are in America. Um, uh, it turns out I'm an immigrant. Well, my family are immigrants from America to South America, back to Europe. So I'm not quite sure where we started, but I seem to be a, a bastard of the British Isles. Um, yeah. So sorry, off track. Uh, LinkedIn. Yeah. Jake Backus, B-A-C-K-U-S. It's been an absolute uh, but pleasure. Yeah, I'm not looking for any so extra work, for... by the way. But, no, 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 uh, no, no, no. This, this, this is not a pitch for, for work, but this is just a, if somebody is curious and has a question and thinks, I need to explore that deeper. Um, Go ahead. Yes, it will be yeah. uh, interesting to connect. Yeah. So, Jake, I mean, this this has been a you know, fascinating uh, journey, whistle-stop tour through the uh, history of Coca-Cola and how that's kind of shaped your life, I guess, and the way that you sort of describe things, and I'm sure for many people. And I think what I'm going to do, because this is a very different style, normally it is more conversational, but I did not want to stop you because you, know, you were in full flow. So what I'm going to do, uh, and you'll see this if you're watching this um, on uh, Spotify or if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or elsewhere, it is available elsewhere, um, is I've put or will have put um, below in the description for this particular uh, episode, I will have put some time tracking on the key points and the key moments where we cover some of the real top tips for how to communicate sustainability. So rather than write a big support
reporting article on this one. I'm just going to time log the key points where Jake shares real moments of wisdom. So um, to look below and uh, you will find uh, some key information there. And hopefully this will set you off if this is early in your journey, step by step into how to communicate sustainability more effectively. And I wish you all the best of luck with doing that. So thank you again, Jake. Thanks, Neil. Thanks for your podcast.